right, welcome into a bonus Friday edition of Inside Golf Podcast. My name is Andy Wack. Great interview today with a guy that I've gotten to know really well over the past couple of months that I've learned a lot from recently, and that is James Kappel, Degenerate75 on Twitter, who is one of uh, the smarter DraftKings players that I know and speak to, and we go over a wide variety of topics on general strategy, what people do wrong, what people do right, what information matters, and we sort through all of it. Uh, so this is a really good podcast. I think you'll enjoy it and find it very informative if you love playing DraftKings. Before we get into my conversation with James, this podcast is, as always, presented by RickRungood.com. If after listening to this, you have some more interest in driving diving into DraftKings Golf, I would highly recommend signing up for RickRungood.com, promo code Andy. It is a giant statistical database where you can look up pretty much anything. We've got ownership projections, optimizers, tools. I write a bunch of exclusive written content and give a full DFS preview and and course breakdown in there every single week. There's an active Slack channel with a bunch of really smart people, James being one of them, our guy, Cody DuBose, who's been on the run of a lifetime, being another one of them. And you can shoot me a message in that Slack channel anytime. It is definitely the best place to reach me. And it's a really good community of smart people that care about having success in this uh, that I am proud to have partnered with. So head on over to rickrungood.com, promo code Andy. You can get a weekly pass for like seven bucks. Check it out. Hop in the Discord you get full access to everything. It is a very small investment for all the stuff that we've got going on over there. All right, let's get to my conversation with James Kappel. All right, James Kappel is here, Degenerate75 on Twitter. Somebody I've gotten to know very well over the past couple of months, somebody that I've learned a lot from, and I thought this would be a good week to kind of pick your brain a little bit more on some general DraftKings strategy because I think both of us are We'll say lukewarm at best on on talking Zurich Classic. Yeah, I could. Uh, I, I'm very happy fading Zurich Classic this week. We we should definitely make a point to talk about the good weeks to fade DFS golf and uh, do other things. And I think this would definitely be one of those weeks. Well, yeah, I I have my obligations to do for it, so I couldn't help myself a little bit. But in terms of like content that I'm more interested in, I think it's a great week to talk more broadly about DraftKings and. You are somebody that I met for the first time at what what was it? We met at Northern Trust, but it was the world, it was like the champ, it was some sort of championship. Talk, you talk yeah. me through it. It's the fantasy golf world championship. It's uh it's what DraftKings puts on every year. Last year it was like it was a four million dollar contest. And you know, the only way to get into it is to win one of the tickets. And the tickets were, you know, they're very competitive to get. I mean, you're usually in a multi thousand player field and only one person wins the ticket. And then if you win the ticket, there was 250 of us. You have to play down to the top 40. Only the top 40 got to go to the live final. So it went from like 250 of us down to 100 of us down to 40. And as you can imagine, you're only playing kind of like the top of the top in that thing because, uh, you know, the average guy doesn't usually have tickets in that thing. So that was quite the sweat to even get there. And then once you get to the live final, they fly you out to Jersey City where the Northern Trust was. They put you up in a nice hotel. They, they had the... Uh, they had the the DraftKings tent right there on the 15th uh, green and looking over the drivable uh, par yeah. four 16th fairway. 
uh, it was just an awesome spot and, uh, you know, free, free food, free alcohol. Uh, it was, it was about as cool as could be. And first place is a million bucks. So that was pretty cool too. Who is the guy that fucked us last year? Cause I remember uh, we were both sweating like the same guys, right? For, for me, I had a five out of six make the cut and it was Morikawa and his mystery elbow injury at the Northern Trust, which <laughs> killed my lineup. I was so, I, I loved my lineup and everybody did exactly what I thought except Morikawa and his precious elbow. Well, are you, so are, have you qualified for it yet this year? What's, what's the deal with this year? Are you, are you back? Yeah. So I've, uh, the, you know, these past few years I've ran so pure that I feel like the, uh, that levels, like the water's finding its level this year. Cause I have already had three second place finishes in those things. And if you don't know about those tickets, it's literally like an $18,000 ticket or second place is usually like a hundred bucks. So, I mean, it's like an infinite fall off. So if when you get second in those things, it's literally just like losing $18,000. It's uh, brutal. And is it the, um, is it that tournament every year? So, so is it at the Northern trust this year? Yeah, this year, this year they moved it to, it's, uh, uh, what it's, uh, in Memphis. Is it St. Jude's that's in Memphis? They just, yeah. They moved which the is, which is year. now that makes, that would make sense because I think that on the schedule this year, that's the first playoff event now. Right. Yeah. That, that's when they do it. Yep. And then that'll be the two, they're going to do two play down weeks again. So the two tournaments that precede that will be the play down weeks. Okay. So you've got time. You're oh, yeah. fine. Yeah, we're halfway through, right? Are we half? Yeah. Have we? Are we even at oh, halfway no. I, through the season? I think season? they're only. They give out the tickets in order. And last I saw, they were only at like ticket seventy-five. And uh, there's over three. There's three hundred tickets this year. They made it even bigger this year. It's five million dollar prize pool. So uh, you know they've only given out twenty-five percent of them. Well, I want to work backwards. I mean, you already kind of alluded to the fact that if you're you're playing for these big tickets, you have a a, a little bit at least experience in the DraftKings world. But how'd you get started, man? Like, how did you? How long ago was it when you kind of made the decision that you were going to take this a little bit more seriously? So, I guess that's two questions. When I got started, I'll never forget. Like back in uh, 2015, the Open Championship. I mean, the, July is like a dead period for. Uh, for DFS sports. And I was so bored one day and I was like, Hey, this open championships coming on. I'm going to go make a lineup for golf. And I literally knew three golfers at the time. I knew Tiger Woods, <laughs> Phil Mickelson and Rory. I couldn't name another golfer. And I remember making my lineup and I, I just picked these names and used up all my salary. And I remember I had Dustin Johnson and Zach Johnson. I remember thinking to myself, can't play that lineup. Can't have two guys with the same last name. So I ended up dumping Zach Johnson. He won. To, yeah. he won. Yeah, I just <laughs> randomly had him and dumped him because he had the same name. And Dustin was winning after 36. And, uh, you know, he got that bogey free round. And I'm like pumping my fist because I'm like, you know, winning 40 bucks on my $10 ticket, just feeling like a champion. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, that was kind of fun. And so then after football season ended uh, in 2016, that was when I found uh, Mayo, Pat Mayo and uh, Jeff Feinberg's Monday show. And uh, they just, they were so fun to listen to. I just kind of started getting into it, listening to them and just what, whoever they said to play, that's who I played. I didn't know any of the golfers. <laughs> now, and, now uh, we kind of do the opposite thing. Yeah, I know. Now it's, it's, it's been a journey. Uh, I guess the second part of that question would be like, when did I get more serious about it? Uh, like in 2018, these past four years, uh, have been when I've gotten more serious in 2018, I kind of, uh, I hit a couple big lineups over on the other site, uh, the other DFS site. And then, uh, I started, uh, hitting some on DraftKings in 2019 and 2020, then I guess it all really came to a head last year when I went to the the World Championship. It wasn't, you know, it was kind of like meeting all the top players and talking to them and seeing how similar that they, 
things I do was and my exposure and all that, how much I played was so similar to all the very top players and uh, meeting, you know, some DraftKings guys, the host and stuff, the VIP host, and them kind of telling me, you know, like, you know, they knew my name and they knew my screen name and they knew about my wins. I was like, I thought I was a nobody. And these guys knew all about me. And they're like, oh yeah, you're one of the, you know, you know, you're one of the higher level players, you know, every, we know who you are. And uh, just kind of hearing that, talking to the other top players and then realizing that like, you know, I had turned a profit year over year pretty nicely for four years that I should just kind of do this because it makes more money than being like a high school teacher, which I was. So I quit and now I make DraftKings lineups. I stick, I stick to golf. Don't get it twisted. I'm not one of those people that wins at football and basketball. I golf is the one sport I can uh, typically profit in. Uh, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, all those other top guys. Uh, That was a really cool week for me too, because it was the first time where when you first reached out to me and told me like, Hey, your podcast is, I love it. I, it's a part of my weekly rotation. It's helped me a lot. And, and, and it, it does a lot for my research. And, and then I found out how high stakes you were playing and how smart you were. That was the first time where I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like people that are actually play DraftKings like semi-professionally are listening to me. And, and I remember the first time I met you, that was that was just a very cool experience because I didn't really, I didn't really have any insight into your world, to be honest with you. Like I, I came on the DraftKings boat pretty late. I think I made my first lineup a little bit over a year ago. And and since then I've just become like obsessed with learning more about it and trying to beat it. Obviously, I'm never close to the point where I'm gonna play as high stakes as you are. But it, over the past year, just like making that friendship with you, I, I've pretty much become obsessed. Right there. I, I, don't forget our dude, uh, Tiger Paul SC. He's uh, another high, very high level guy that listens to you. And uh, he's on a super heater. Just, he's my guy. That, yeah. We he's just got to give guy. that guy a shout out. He's, he, he's on a heater that, that dwarfs almost any heater. So uh, just shout out to him. So there's, I think there's more high limit guys listening to you. Than you think, because you know, you bring something that I'd never heard in any of the other posts. And it was kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, just kind of like the nerd stuff. When you start talking about agronomy and stuff like that and course layout, I just don't feel like any of those other guys really have kind of that nerd perspective on stuff that you bring. Uh, you know, they're much more stat driven or, you know, applying betting odds to DraftKings salaries and stuff like that. Whereas you're bringing something unique that at least in the other pods that I've heard isn't really out there. And that's what I, that's why I started listening to you and taking from your pods. Well, I appreciate that, man. And I think that's a good transition to get me started on the first thing that I really wanted to ask you, which is like, okay, so you do this pretty much full time now. What's a regular week look like for you? Like, where do, where does it start for you? Walk me through kind of your typical process um, for a given PGA Tour week. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's gotten pretty much where I just follow the same pattern every week. Uh, Sunday morning, I, you know, is a great more is a great time to start the week that's coming up because you've put out your preview pod. Uh, Rick's put out his preview pod. Pat Mayo's put out his, and you guys all kind of have your strengths and what you offer. Uh, uh, you know, just kind of get the juices flowing, reminding me what happened last year, what kind of players typically perform well, what makes this course unique. Listening to all those things, uh, getting a listen for those. You know, um, go go walk the dogs and just get my mind off the current Sunday tournament. You know, you, it, there's no there's no sense in uh, in really sweating at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning because all your showdown lineups are in, all your week longs are in. There's nothing you can do to change it. You know, I don't want to sit there and sweat golf for 10 hours, so I'm going to start thinking about the next week while Sunday's playing out. 
Um, you know, usually by the end of Sunday, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, tilting my guys falling apart on Sunday afternoon, <laughs> then I, uh, you know, then I'll go kind of, you know, on fantasy national Rick run good, start looking at some stats, kind of crunching some things that were already bouncing around in my head. Plus what I heard on the, uh, the podcast that I liked, uh, any narratives that I might want to play. Is that going to be windy? Is it a coastal course? Is it link style? Uh, all of these scenarios, you know, putting greens, fast greens, all that stuff, uh, kind of make a temporary model, uh, you know, and kind of get a, you know, see if it fortifies the names that were already bouncing around in my head. Uh, and then, you know, uh, th- this is where I think I differentiate a lot of guys by Monday are already wanting to slam lineups in there and start, <laughs> you know, Ooh, I got like, I like this guy and this guy. And, you know, by Tuesday, I have learned that the best thing to do is to not make a single lineup till Wednesday. I agree. Uh, and the reason for By this the way, Cody too, feels the same way. I was just talking to him about this too. Yeah. What, what was his reasoning? Well, he was just talking about the biggest edge that I have is ownership. So I feel like I'm really, really good at predicting ownership. And why would I, why would I make a lineup on Monday night when I don't have the fullest understanding of where people are going to go, which is the same reason why I started writing this Wednesday article for Rick, because it's like, I can't talk about DFS articulately on my Sunday show. I can't talk about DFS articulately on my Tuesday show because we don't have all the information. How much have we talked about weather, you and I, on like <laughs> a, a late on a Wednesday night, right? You way, just way too much. It's I think it's a fool's fool's errand to do it on Monday. Yeah. And and there's nothing worse than making a lineup Monday where you're like, oh, this is it. I love this lineup. And then you look Wednesday and every one of those guys are projected at over 18%. You don't want to play a lineup like that. That's just bad game theory to do that. And so falling in love with guys that you make lineups with on Monday is just a bad idea. Um, that's why I like to wait till Wednesday where I can be like, oh, I liked Rory at 10%, but do I like Rory at 20%? I don't think so. Um, and so now I haven't put him in any lineups that I'm in love with. And it's easy to just pivot off of him to another guy. Let's talk a little bit, you already alluded to a little bit talking in, in, through your process, but I want to talk to you about content and uh, something that you said to me a while ago that really stuck with me was, um, I think a lot of people have a, a misunderstanding about content where they listen to shows to find out who to play and you listen to shows to find out who not to play. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, I used to be the exact opposite. I used to listen to, you know, uh, podcasts to get my plays for the week. And it was largely just because I didn't really understand how DraftKings worked or I didn't yeah. know enough about those borderline fringe players to really have an opinion on them. Um, and so I would go with what they did. But uh, as I started to learn, the best thing you can do is to listen to those podcasts and see who the touts are picking and then just go away from them because yes. guys like, you know, you and Rick and Pat and people like that. I mean, there's a tons of other ones. I'm not saying those are just the ones I tend to listen to. So they sway ownership. And if they say Josh Bramlett at 6,700 is a good play this week, he's going to go from 6% to 15%. And uh, I'm never going to play a Josh Bramlett at 15% at 6,700. Just not going to do it. Um, and so I listen to the podcast to get an idea of which way the wind's blowing on certain players. Because a lot of those people that listen to podcasts are listening to it because they're just casual players who are going to throw in five or 10 lineups and they want those picks. They may not know, you know, the, that, that Patrick Rogers is a, is a good fit this week. And so they hear that name Patrick Rogers on a podcast and now they're going to play him. Uh, I, I, I listen to that and I want to know the guys that they're not saying so I can go get Martin Laird at 0.9%. And then when he goes off, I clean up at it. 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to just, uh, you know, if I love a guy, I'm still going to play him, even if they're on him at the podcast. But I am definitely, if I even am remotely on the fence about a guy, I can fade him if they're being touted up. Which is funny because I remember you started telling me like, oh man, I just listened to the podcast. I'm so angry you talked about this guy, <laughs> which I think sometimes you you might be giving me a, a little bit too much credit. I don't know if I have the, the pull that maybe a Pat or a Rick does yet. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get there someday. Yeah. The, the week that you did that, it, that guy ended up at like 2.5% and I didn't play him and I felt like an idiot. Who was it? I don't even remember. Man, I cannot remember, but it was a really good play. He ended up finishing like T20 and he was like 6,400. It was a really good play. And I got myself off of him because I thought that Andy Lack (laughs) was going to move him, move him up to 10%. So yeah, you can definitely outsmart yourself sometimes when you're doing that. And uh, that's what I did. Yeah. I don't think that I, you know, I'll say this though. Um, some of like the, uh, I don't know, the JJ spawns and the Joel Dahmans of the world, you know, like we'll say, I'll say a couple thousand people are listening to the podcast and we'll say maybe one in every 10 of them are like, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. I'm going to play this guy. I think it matters more so with the lower price guys, but let's say one in every 10 and that may be too high. It also may be too low says, okay, I'm going to play this guy. Well, that's 300, 400 people now that are maybe potentially plugging that guy into your your lineup and that's going to show up on that's going to show up in some contests now you have somebody like mayo who probably gets i don't know five six seven times the amount of views that i do like it it matters right like people like it it actually does matter because i think so many people want to know who to play they want somebody to tell them like this is the good play and you know, Pat's re- really good at what he does. Rick's really good at what he does. It's not like these guys are making bad cases for the players. So I think some people really struggle with the ability to fade that and and get different. And and I would say once you can kind of get that under your belt and and start doing that, it's probably your greatest asset. Yeah, FOMO, the fear of missing out. Uh, the, the, you got to you got to get over that at DFS Golf and just be willing to go down in flames uh, if uh, if the right guy's hitting. And I'll be the first to admit it took me a good three years of playing DFS golf to get in to get over FOMO. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. And I, I, but what I think is important is you have to. It is important to listen, right? Like you, you have to, you have to figure out, um, as you would say, where the wind is blowing. So, how important would you say it is to? Um, Take like how much do you consume on a given week? Like because I know there's some people that are like, I don't really consume anything. I'm, I don't consume much at all. To be honest with you, like I, I like listening to support my friends, but a lot of the time, like I, I kind of like listening after the tournament started. Um, I I know what I'm doing for better or worse. Like I am, I am on my guys, and there's very very little. Uh, that can do to shake me off of, especially in DraftKings, I can be shaken off of anyone based off ownership. Um, but in terms of like the guys that I like, those are the guys that I like, and I, I don't really care too much about other people's opinions. I I, I trust my own. So wh- where would you say in terms of like how much you consume each week and, and how it, how it kind of affects where you go and how important it is to kind of figure out um, because there are a lot of ways that you can do it, right? It's not just content. It's, it's Twitter. It's, it's maybe if you're in a couple group chats and stuff like that as well. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, to me, there's a point of diminishing returns. Like if you're spending more than five or six hours on podcasts, you're going to end up hearing so many different points of view and so many guys hyping and, uh, you know, shutting down other guys that it's going to end up, you know, getting yourself in circles. So there's, I got my three podcasts I listen to every week. Um, you know, the three hosts anyways, which probably comes out to about five hours of podcasts. And my general rule is I try to spend at least two to three times more on, uh, you know, stat based websites, trying to get my stats right. And looking at that stuff, uh, looking for any, you know, uh, good rumors that might be going around on Twitter that maybe I like, you know, I actually love hearing rumors because everybody, you know, Odeki Hideki's back's hurting this week. He's going to be 3%. I'm playing Hideki because that whole narrative, uh, what was it last week? Oh, we talked uh, about burger who yeah, actually yeah, was exactly. fine. He was, he, I think but, he was like T22, yeah, but yeah, did but you switch to Lowry? So did you nice. switch switch off him to Lowry? Yeah. Right. Oh no, I went, well, he, Lowry was number one in my model, so I already hated myself that I was fading a guy because of ownership who was number one in my model. So really, you just kind of got me to go back to where I should have been, which is always play the guy that's number one in your model, no matter the ownership. Yeah, I've I've made that mistake quite a few times as well. I want to talk about that a little bit, which is I feel like the stats, the stats revolution has kind of almost taken over. Uh, how people play DraftKings, right? There's so much good access now to information between uh, Rick's site and Fantasy National and Data Golf, and now it seems like every single person models. Um, I think one of the biggest obstacles that I ran up against when I first started playing DraftKings was understanding that DraftKings was a different game than handicapping. And if you wanted to have success, you kind of had to play some more squeamish guys. You had to be a little bit more comfortable playing some guys with uh, a little more red on their screens because it's not about picking the guys that are most likely to necessarily win the tournament. It's about weighing up what other people are doing. You're not playing against the sports book. You're playing against other people, right? And I feel like that gets lost on people sometimes and, and they rely too heavily on the stats where in terms of DraftKings, for me, it's, it's actually a lot less about the stats and, and more about what other people are doing. Absolutely. I, I will tell you, whenever I'm making my stats model, I just referenced Shane Lowry being number one overall, but what I'm looking for is for somebody that may be popping in one individual thing Yeah, that, that overall their ranking is terrible in my model, but they're just popping that one thing. Uh, you know, their approach has been on recently or they put really well on fast Bermuda, just that one thing uh, that I could kind of hang my hat on that. I see that if that thing is going, you know, going really well for them and they can just kind of figure out those other things, they might be able to pop. And that's a good way to use stats to get to people that may be different than everybody else's stat models is just looking for one or two things like, Oh, he really plays well on Pete Dyke horses. Or here's one that I love that I, I think a lot of people would cringe at. I love uh, whenever they're playing near their house, you know, and like they get to sleep in their bed and they get to, you know, like they didn't have to travel that week. They're hanging out. And like, there's just a certain level of, you know, like I, I feel like golf has a much more psychological aspect that needs to be factored in than probably the other sports do. Do you, um, how much do you look at that stuff? Like, are you, a, are you a big quotes guy? Are you my, I know we could talk about weather. Both of us are huge weather guys, but are you like mining what other stuff besides like content and podcasts and stat modeling are you doing to kind of help you prepare for a given week? Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I do try to like find quotes about what the, the players are saying and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of people are just looking for, Oh, you know, this, uh, player, 
X is feeling really good this week. I got to play him. I kind of like to find those quotes that get mainstream and where they're saying, ah, his, his, his wedges look like crap, or, you know, he's really struggling with his putting recently, or he has a new grip or he got all new clubs, all these things that people are going to overreact to to these professionals, they're, you know, they're minuscule differences to these guys. And if they're clicking, they're going to click and smash. And so I like to find those things that uh, those quotes that are going to be negative, they're going to drive people away from them. And that drives me towards them. Me too. Like, if Louis has a hurt, if Louis has a hurt neck, everybody's gonna fade Louis. I'm in. I'm in on a Louis hurt neck. <laughs> I know. I, I feel the same way. You almost want to like. Again, I, I think the ultimate theme that we're talking about here is is you need to learn to get a little bit uncomfortable, right? You need to be okay playing guys that a lot of people are gonna stick their nose up at, right? Like there are a lot of times where um, the guys that I really like in DraftKings, like. Those guys get shit on in podcasts. Those guys get shit on in Twitter. But you know that's not really why. That's not really why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I think there might be uh, kind of an edge there, right? But you know, it's all about finding quote unquote leverage, which I it is not really a zero sub sum game in golf. It's kind of harder to define leverage when it comes to golf, in my opinion, because there's no real game script. Um, but I want to talk about like talk about. Uh, more about ownership. I want I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into ownership. Like we already alluded to how certain content can kind of affect uh, where people go and stuff like that. But how do you sort through like all of the bullshit? Do you make your own projections? Yeah. So like I use kind of a confluence of things, uh, you know, like uh, there's this guy on Twitter and of course I would forget his name right now. He does the Tautometer where he goes yeah. and listens to all the podcasts. I think it's like yeah. Greg or something like that is his name. It's yeah. a great little tweet he puts out every week where he like shows uh, what, what touts are hitting the players and stuff. And honestly, that has a lot of correlation to who ends up being highly owned and not very highly owned. Um, so that's a good one. You know, looking at uh, 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 the number of lineups generated like by Wednesday on uh, sites and stuff like that, that'll give you a pretty good idea of where they're going to land. And honestly, more than anything, it just takes experience. You got to kind of know that like guys like Xander Shoffley always come in higher than you think they're going to be. People just yeah. love a good Xander. They do. <laughs> um, and a guy like Patrick Reed always, and I mean always, comes in under-owned on what people are projecting him at. I, I think there just has to be like some uh, bias about people not liking him. And when you kind of already have that idea and you can crunch it with some real world numbers, you get a really good feel for where the ownerships are going to be. And just to, to tag one more onto that is like, look at the range they're in. This is something that people don't understand enough when looking at ownership is like, you know, they say, oh, JT is going to be 30% this week. But if JT's 30% at 10,700, basically everybody else over 10,000 is going to have negligible ownership. So like that's, he's probably not going to be 30%. And if he truly is going to be 30%, all those other guys are going to be very rarely owned because it's very tough to stack two of those guys in a realistic lineup. And so like you can get a good idea of who's going to have ownership just based on where they're at and who's around them relative. Right. And it's, it also has a lot to do with, with certain contests, right? So, yeah. so talk about how like it's going to vary based on different contests. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, share some insight into your kind of contest selection and how that can differ from different contests. Cause one thing that I've noticed is if you want to find the best ownership in Pat Mayo's contest, like just look at Fantasy National. That's your place. Like Doug yeah. Gim's going to be a lot higher. Yeah. Uh, all, all, the, all, the, all the ball strikers are going to be super highly owned in Pat Mayo's contest. That's a exactly. great time to give me team putter 
in his contests. Exactly. But it, it obviously varies um, for different ones. So maybe talk sometimes about how, how ownership can vary in different contests and what, what kind of more broadly are the types of contests that you like to play. So I'm, I've actually been doing a lot of reviewing of my contest over the past. Like I'm one of those people that probably, you know, I play the higher limits, but I also love the lower limits. And I've had way more success playing those ones that are somewhere between $9 and $44 is where I've hit all my big hits over the past four years. I will tell you the one thing I've noticed whenever you start playing in the signature hole, which is the 555 or the snowman, mm-hmm. which is the 888, or even the, you know, the four figure contests is people up there, the, the players up there, they care way less about statistics and about player form. And they simply go with who's the better player. It, it, just to clarify that, let's take uh, last week, uh, Patrick Cantlay and Corey Connors uh, were essentially the, almost the exact same price. Uh, at the heritage, right? I think Cantley was 10,000 and Connors yeah. is 9,700. If you just go look at their stats, Connor is a God compared to Cantley recently. Cantley uh, is, is not been hitting it. Well, he's not been ball striking Connors, you know, another great showing at the masters. He's a ball striking savant. Uh, so you would think, Oh, I will play Connors. But if you go look in the higher level, you know, the sharps versus the uh, squares is Cantley is going to be higher owned than Connors. Why is that? Because who's a better golfer? Just objectively, Patrick Cantley is a better golfer than Corey Connors, even if it's not in this recent form. Why do you think that is, by the way, in the higher contests? I, I, I think that they are just trying to get the six best players they can get in a contest. They're not trying to get the, the six, the six uh, you know, uh, guys who are playing the best. They want to get six golfers who are just like world-class players. If you ever see Joaquin Neiman at 7,600, he could be playing terrible. He's going to be much higher owned in those higher-level contests than he is in the lower-level contest just because he's such a great player. He's a better than $7,600 player. He's going to be better than the guys he's around. Uh, you know, like Jason Day, 7,500 or Joaquin Neiman, 7,600, you know, like it's, it's not even a decision that Neiman is objectively the better player. Yeah. Stro- a little strokes gain common sense, right? I, yeah, I, exactly. I, I feel like probably the most successful DraftKings players are ones that are not really as much of a slave to the numbers. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's taken me a while to get off of the, the numbers too. That's when I kind of really started noticing that I need to look for those specific aspects instead of the overall, I want somebody who's perfect across all 11 of my metrics. Yeah. So you're, so you've, you, you vary a little bit, right? You, you've been experimenting with uh, a couple different contests, but I would, you generally play GPPs exclusively, right? Yeah. I mean, I did a, a 20 week sample of cash games. Um, uh, I did 20 weeks and 11 of those 20 weeks I cashed. So you would think I was up, but by the time you pay the 11 or 16% rake on DraftKings, uh, you're essentially completely even, or even a, a little bit of a net loser. Plus, even if I did win, what would I have been up like 50 bucks on those weeks? I mean, it's, it's, it's negligible to put all that time and effort into cash games. Uh, whereas with a GPP, you know, like the, to me, I live for the, I think most people that play DraftKings want that excitement, that sweat of smashing a big lineup, right? Like, yeah. like I remember you did when you hit that PME, uh, you know, which is crazy that you won that. You know, we want that big sweat and no one's getting a big sweat from winning $50 in cash game. And so, you know, I, I just like to play GPPs because I feel like that's where the sweat is. It's also easier to make money in the long run, which seems counterintuitive. Of, but like cash games are hard. The way that you make a cash game lineup is you're trying to pick six guys are going to finish T20 and all yeah. make the cut. Right. And that's just not fun to me. Uh, it, you know, and it's not very easy because golf that we've got to talk about this is the most variant sport of all of them. Uh, of all of the DFS sports, golf is the most variant. And I feel like that's why, you know, computers, so many guys 
crush NFL, crush NBA, crush MLB, because they have computer systems that can essentially just project the best lineups over humans. But at golf, those computers can't factor in all the variance that goes into golf. And it allows you to be more successful uh, by not being just a computer generated lineup guy. Do you think that probably makes golf the hardest sport to win at in DraftKings long-term? No. Uh, well, if you don't do game theory, if you, you know, like if you're willing to play the game theory and play the ownership and make, you know, talk about like making those lineups that make you uncomfortable, uh, you know, the ones that oh, I don't really want to play this guy, but dang, he's 2% owned and he's a world-class talent when he's on, you know, if you're willing to make those plays, then I actually think it's easier to spike GPPs and golf than it is at any other sport. Yeah. You know, that's the argument that I, I, I hear a lot of people say like golf is, it's completely random. It's a game of complete roulette. And I always, I always push back on that a little bit, just because getting to know you a little bit more, getting to know Cody a little bit more, getting to know like some of these other guys that take it really seriously. It's always the same names popping up at the top, like week after week, year after year. Um, and that has to mean something, right? Like there's a reason that there's a certain amount of people, very small, that it's not necessarily that they've cracked the code or anything like, but there are people that win at this long-term, like a, a lot. Yeah. I, th- those top players, they're smart. They understand game theory. They understand the, the right contest. They understand how, how to have the right exposure. More than anything, they have the bankroll to kind of ride out because, you know, a lot of people don't understand right. that you're going to, you know, like all the top players are probably losing at least 80% of weeks. You know, you just see their screenshots where they went $150,000. You didn't see the five weeks before that where they were losing 10000 each of those weeks. Um, but they have enough of a bankroll to just wait to spike one of those GPPs because they're playing the game theory, they're playing the ownership, and they're getting the right amount of exposure to the right players that in the long run, they're going to spike three or four times a year and they're going to make all those losses back and a whole lot more. Uh, you know, it's just undeniable. Just go look at those guys up at the top, um, you know, like Mock Lovin and Big T and, uh, you know, there's a hundred of them. Our uh, guy, Justin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our boy. <laughs> we don't, I don't think he's listening, so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I doubt he's listening. Yeah. There's, there's just some dudes up there and they just, they, they just have that bankroll to just kind of wait out. And I think a lot of people feel like they can never win at golf because they lose a hundred dollars. They lose a hundred dollars. They lose a hundred dollars. They lose a hundred dollars before they know it. They're down 400 bucks. They're like, man, I didn't want to invest this much. Whereas that fifth week was going to be the week they spike a $3,000 GPP or something and they get all that money back. Yeah. Uh, You got to play the long game. You got to play the long game. Right. And it's, that's the thing that I like about GPPs too. It's like one great week. If you have one or two great weeks a season, you're good. And I think a lot of people are super uncomfortable with the idea of losing 80% of the time, losing 90% of the time. But if you hit, you really hit. And I think that's why both of us, like we both play really aggressively. We both have really small player pools. And that's the reason that we do that. Absolutely. You, you, you like, you know, I've, I've honestly thought about on Twitter every week, just posting my, how much I was in and how much I, you know, one, which is usually a loss. Not so worth people it. Can, yeah, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> people, <they're... laughs> you know, I, I love whenever like uh, some of the big guys do that. You know, they'll show they're in for thirty and they won twenty five, and they're like, "Hey, I won twenty five this week." And all the all the peasants are like, "Hey, you lost five thousand. What are you talking about?" It's like, dude, you don't you don't get the joke, my man. But yeah, the, the, having that bankroll, and uh, as small as it was, I used to start with just a hundred dollars a week uh, back in the day, and I would just play my twenty-five dollar lineups, and that was what I would do. And then you just keep doing that and doing that, and just be okay if you're not comfortable losing a hundred dollars, maybe try fifty dollars, whatever your number is that you're okay losing every week. To me, it was paying for entertainment, 
And then when I finally spiked a GPP and then another one, and then another one, I was like, oh, wow, I guess I need to start playing in these higher limits. And so for the past year, I've been playing in these super high limits. And I, I, that's what made me go do those, uh, that research. And now I'm kind of realizing that I'm much better mass multi-entering the, the $9, $20, those type of contests. Yeah. I hit those so much more than I do putting six or seven in the signature hole or in the snowman contest. Cause you know, it just changes the way you make your lineup. So you're like, Ooh, I, I can't play that guy. That makes me uncomfortable. This is a $900 lineup. Yeah. Right? Whereas in the $5, I'm like, Oh yeah, give me Luke Donald. Give me, you know, whoever I'll, I'll take a shot on anybody that I think, you know, could possibly pop. You know, I'm going to reveal something kind of nerdy with you, but, uh, I, you know, when I first started getting into DraftKings, when we first started talking and I was really kind of obsessed with trying to figure it out and get smarter at it and beat it. I started, I wanted to test something out. Um, so what I started to do was, and I've done this for 33 weeks. I think you'll find this really interesting. I've done this for 33 weeks now where I took the quote unquote chalk plays, the highest owned guys in each price range. And I wrote them all down at the start of every single week. And then I chose uh, they're kind of the natural low owned pivot to them. Like the natural guy right in that range that was super low owned that was coming in at a fraction of the ownership. So like and Spieth last week. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I, I wanted to see, okay, who is, who out, does the chalk outperform? Do the pivots outperform? Like I, let's run this over a very large sample size and see. And through 33 weeks, I can tell you that the the tally so far is 17 to 16. Uh, the chalk outperformed the lower pwned, oh, right. lower owned pivots. So it's like, if it's basically a 50-50 proposition between the guy that everyone's playing and the guy that no one's playing, like, why don't you just play the guy that no one's playing every single week? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, or is it something, you know, like if you really love that chalky guy, that one that's chalky, you can still play him, but yes. then also play that pivot guy too with him. And that's like a great way to separate, uh, you know, a, a great lineup last week would have been what Cantley and Spieth would have been like the perfect start. Yes. Even though Cantley came in at like what, 18 or 19%. That's pretty chalky. You could have just paired him with what? 4% speed. And yeah. You're, and if you also GPPs, like also if you love Lowry, you can yeah. get Lowry in there too. You probably just wouldn't want to go like Lowry Fitz Henley or Lowry Connor. Like you would have to, it, you would have to construct it differently. So like, I bet a lot of lineups didn't go Cantlay Lowry or Lowry Speed. You know what I mean? So like that, I, I say that not to say don't play chalk and, and we can talk about this too. Cause we, you put on the outline, good chalk versus bad chalk. Like that's not to say don't play chalk. It's, it's more just to say like, Hey, this is these guys that you think are a slam dunk that you think are a really good play. Like, I've weighed this over a pretty large sample size. It's really more of a toss-up than you think. Yeah, except Corey Connors. He always fits in his chalk. That guy, that guy, I swear to God. I've, I, I've never lost more money fading a guy than that than a chalky Corey Connors. Masters, right? We were like, yeah. fuck this. I'm not yeah. playing chalky no Corey chance. Connors at the Masters, no and we got, we got killed. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that, was, that was a tough week. Masters was a tough week. Brutal um, for me, too. Yeah, here's a good rule for people to remember. Before you listen to any podcast or even find out who the chalk is, go find your guys that are like your, you can't be talked off of guys. Yes. Yeah. For me last week, it was Cantlay. It was Neiman. There was nothing anybody could say that was going to get me off either one of those two. Uh, you know, I'd saw some, the Cantlay at the masters was ball striking. And a lot of those stats were hidden because it was at the masters. I was like, that's all I need to see. 
Like I just need him to like start progressing his ball striking one direction. And then Neiman at that price tag uh, on a tight course with mid irons, I'm in all day. And so it didn't matter what I wasn't going to be talked off those two guys. So that shows you that like you can play chalk, but just make sure that you're committed to them. And it's not somebody else's chalk. It's like your pick that no one's going to talk you off of. That would be my advice. I kind of do the same thing where I start out with, I kind of go, I'm crazy. Like I go through the entire field. I start the research for that. I'm already deep into the Mexico tournament right now, but, but I basically, I go through the whole field and I put players in two categories, right? Definites and maybes. And the definite category is very small, right? Like there's only like four or five guys in there, the, you know, throughout the entire field, the maybe category is like 50 guys. Right. And so that maybe pool is that's something that I don't whittle down until Wednesday afternoon. Right. Because there, there's so many guys that it just, it depends on ownership a little bit. And I use ownership a lot as the tiebreaker, but you're right. I think it's always important to have a couple guys that no matter what, like those are your guys, that's your core, which is kind of what I started to try and do in, in the Rick article too, is it's like, okay, identify your core, identify the players that, that you care a lot about um, and that you're on no matter what, and then kind of sprinkle in, take your chances elsewhere. Like I, you know, I, are you ever the type of guy that like, if you're doing a week where you're playing closer to 50 or a hundred or even 30 lineups, are you ever the type of guy that you're like, I'm just locking this guy like a, like a ROM at the Amex, a, a can't lay at Pebble beach or something like that, where you will go super, super aggressive and just play this guy everywhere. Yeah. I've played, I play a hundred percent guys. I would say probably every other week, there's some guy that I'm like, there's just no way he's not a smash play this week. Yeah. Um, and I'll just go a hundred percent on him. And I've had those guys miss the cut and you literally just have a hundred percent of your lineups dead, which isn't fun, but you know, uh, sometimes that guy goes on and kills it. And, uh, those, those, those weeks are good. And for me, that's the kind of risk you got to be willing to take at those GPPs. You know, if I know that if I have a feeling this guy's going to win, like he, I truly believe he's going to win. I want him a hundred percent of lineups. So if he hits, I have 150 chances to win that GPP because I already have the winner in all 150 of those lineups. Which is, that's the whole point too. And you look at Cody's lineup last week and it was all of these guys under 10%, right? It was, yeah. it was all, of, I think he faded every single, did you see that newsletter? I want to, I want to shout out whoever wrote that newsletter, yeah. like the DFS. I don't know what the Twitter account is. I'll find yeah. it, but it was really good. I, I didn't realize Cody's player pool, like he faded all 10 of the the chalkiest guys. And he played a ton of DJ too. He played like 60%. Yeah. He played 60% DJ, but he was, he was able to get away with it because he avoided so much of the other chalk. I sent you that screenshot, uh, like late Sunday afternoon, he had like three lineups in the top in the top six. I mean, you can only do that when you have a huge core that's like smashing. So like he had those same four guys that were all low owned and then he just mixed and matched those other two and they were just all up there. It was crazy. So he had, he had multiple chances to win that quarter of a million. So it wasn't luck that just, he had one lineup, you know, he had a very contrarian core. He just smashed those guys. And when that happens, you're going to end up with a lot of bullets up there. And if you've never been at the top of a GPP board on a Sunday afternoon, it is super volatile. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been in first by 25 points and I'm already counting my money. And then Kirk and Spencer both dunk it in the water on what was that 15 on the, Under, they're in right? the same group. Yeah. yeah. Golly. And I, I mean, literally I, I, I dropped like, what was it? Like $75,000 in one hole for, after being up by like 20 points. I couldn't believe it. 
So you you have to you have to be aggressive, right? Like, and yeah. and and that's that's a thing that's sometimes uncomfortable is that like you're all in, you're going all in on these on these certain guys, and if it fails, like you're just gonna have a bad week, like you're just done. And sometimes there's gonna be Thursday mornings where you wake up and one of those guys that you're all in on. It doesn't end up working out and your week's cooked, but on the off chance that it does work, like that's how you win those tournaments. And, and yeah. Cody thinks the same way, right? You have to kind of, so what's your player pool? Like it's, I, I would assume it's, we both kind of talk about how our player pools are a little bit smaller. Talk about how people maybe should, um, uh, create their player pool based on like what contests they're playing and, and how many contests they're playing and stuff like that. Um, first you do need to know this is an actual term. Whenever you wake up Thursday morning and all your lineups are dead, that's called the Kyle Stanley. Okay. <laughs> Whenever you wake up and you scroll down to the bottom and he's already six over through four and you, you played like 80% Kyle Stanley, that's called the Kyle Stanley. Um, anyways, um, I, I was wondering, uh, so the player pool. So for me, I, a good rule is I will never have over 30 players in my player pool. Yeah. Uh, even when I'm doing 150 to 300 lineups, uh, you know, I'm going to have at least five or six of those guys in about 50% of my lineups. So yeah. after that, it's kind of mixing and matching everywhere else. Because uh, if that core hits, I want them to be able to go everywhere. Whenever I'm playing, you know, whenever I'm playing only high limit stuff for the week and I'm doing maybe 15 lineups, uh, we're talking legit maybe 16 players in my player pool. It needs to be super tight because there's no sense in playing a guy in one or two of your lineups. You just don't have enough exposure to him to counteract the field. And this is one that I don't ever hear anybody talk about, but I'm a big believer in. You should never play a guy in your player pool that you don't have higher leverage on than his ownership. Yes. So if he's projected at 20% and you have him in 10% of your lineups, I always hear, you know, really good players. Uh, Totag and Tambo talks about this a lot. And he obviously knows what he's doing. Uh, he said, I'm going to be underweight on this guy. But to me, if I'm going to be underweight on a guy, just give me straight 0% of him. Um, that's the aggressive way I play. I'm either going to be overweight on a guy or I'm not going to play him at all. And I just play the, the 2X rule. If, a, if I'm projecting a guy at 15%, I'm going to make sure I have at least 30% exposure to him. I want to have the leverage on every one of my guys in my player pool. And that will, if you follow that rule, that'll really make your player pool tight because you can't play 50 guys and have double the projected exposure to all of them. You're just going to run out of percentages. And that's the kind of thing that you and I talk to each other about all the time is like, we are very comfortable being super aggressive. We understand that that strategy isn't for everyone. Like I remember when we were talking about um, weather at Phoenix, right? You remember this where you came to me on Wednesday morning or Tuesday night and were like, Hey, I think we might have an edge here with the wave advantages in Phoenix. And I was like, Hmm, maybe like I can kind of see where you're going with this. And, and you're like, I am fully stacking this. And I was like, really? You're fully stacking this? And, and you were like, yes, there's a very good chance that I'm wrong, but I'm also perfectly comfortable with being wrong, right? Like I have the ability to do that because if there's a chance that I am right, then I have a giant edge, right? And maybe a wave differential of 0.5 of a stroke or 0.75 of a stroke, it doesn't sound like much, but those edges those edges add up long-term, right? And that's why you see the same guys at the top every single week, because those are the guys that are willing to take on those edges. And if they're wrong, they're wrong. But if they hit, they're doing something different and they have such an advantage over everyone else that isn't even thinking about that stuff. 
Yeah, I love. I wish. I wish DraftKings would make it where you could go see who's dead last in GPPs because <laughs> you would you would see so many of the top players down there because they're okay just going down in flames. You know, like uh, you know, like the the famous six for six missed cuts and stuff like that. Um, you know, like uh, it. it you got to be okay with getting dead last. I, also, yeah. I almost wish DraftKings would make it where they give like a hundred bucks to, to DFL. Like that would we be had nice. that at the players, right? We had yeah. 0 sixes at the players because oh. we were super aggressive. Yeah. Went, went, went all in and that one didn't pay off. It, do, it doesn't always pay off. That was a brutal week. I could have went without remi- that reminder. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying though. And I think that the other thing that I want to talk about is like finding your lane, right? Like, again, this is, we like to play super aggressive, but there are kind of a million ways to play DraftKings. And I would encourage everybody to find something that works for them and try it out for like a really large sample size, right? Like I I had, I wasn't sure about, you know, what chalk really meant to me. I was really trying to figure it out. So I said, okay, I'm going to run this experiment and I'm not going to make any decisions about it until I have like 30 weeks of of data on it to really try and help me jump to conclusion. So I think the biggest piece of advice that you've given me before and that we can both say is like, find your lane and stick with it for a while before you switch. I think the people that go into every week with a different strategy, I don't, I can't do that, man. Like I got to just, I got to go down with the ship every week and, and maybe I'll at the beginning of a year, I'll try and implement something new after like, I don't know, 10 weeks, I'll try and like introduce a little something new, but like stick with it. I I feel like people jump ship way too early in terms of their strategy with this stuff because you're going to lose a ton. You're going to lose a ton. So if you lose for six weeks straight, I'm sorry, that's not enough of a sample size to really figure out if what you're doing is successful or not. DFS golf is just like notorious for overreactions, which can yes. be great for people to know what they're doing. Because anytime a great example is like, Oh, he missed the cut last week. Can't play him. If I see a guy miss the cut the week before, that's like, especially if he was highly owned. And oh missed yeah. The cut, Pat and Kazire, Pat and Kazire. Yeah. Oh, he was, man, he was, was 8,620% at the yeah. Valero. Then he's uh, 7,305% the next week at the heritage. Like what happened? What are we doing here? It's the old overreaction or, Oh, this guy got second place last week and was ball striking. He can't miss this week. Like people are just so overreactionary to one week in a, in a sport that's like super volatile and just doesn't make sense. Um, you know, as far as people finding their own lane, uh, yeah, I, I you got to find what you're successful at and then just be content doing that. You know, once I, once my coffers were full after winning some GPPs, I thought, Oh, now I've got to go play in these big contests, you know, and uh, do fewer lineups, but play, you know, cause the, the, there's a smaller rake and there's fewer people to beat. You don't have to hit the absolute nuts. And so I started playing in these. And while I was doing that, I was still playing in the smaller ones. And I noticed like, I'm just better at mass multi small ones. Uh, and, and twice a year kind of spiking one. That's kind of what I do. That's my formula for success for, going into my fifth year now and like that's my lane you know you would see oh you're playing this much money this week you must be playing all the high dollar stuff but really i would rather just go put 150 in the 20 dollar, 150 in the five dollar uh and instead of going and putting six or seven in the signature hole or whatever that's it just it that's my lane and once you find your lane and you realize that's what you're successful at stick with it and don't worry what somebody is saying is the smarter play or the better financial decision just pick what you're good at and do it 
Uh, speaking of what you're good at, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about showdown because I, I don't play showdown, uh, because as you know, by Thursday and Friday of, of the week, I'm already digging into next week's tournament, but talk about showdown because I, I, I know you've had a lot of success in that. And, and I think you, you're, you're passionate that there might be a little bit more of an edge there, uh, than even regular weekly contests. Can I just do it like a sales pitch? And if, I'm, if I convince you, you're going to do, you'll do showdown with me next week. Yeah, sure. All right, here we go. So like we've spent so much of this time talking about that. It's all that, that DFS is all a game of leverage. It's all about understanding ownership and being able to pivot. Well, if I told you that showdown is just like week long, except everything is multiplied times three, like <laughs> how could you not love that? Like a great example, Sunday showdown. You, I don't even know if you know, I'll just give a quick example. Sunday showdown, the players get to start with their, with their finishing points. So this last week, this last week it was HP three, right? First place gets you, I think it's 13 and a half points. Yeah. So how could you not play HP three? He starts with 13 and a half points. So he's literally going to be like 50% owned. So like just right there, just fade HB3. You've already faded 50% of the field. You've already got 50% of them out of the way. And there's all kinds of reasons for fading. A, it's really hard to win a golf contest when you're already in first. B, he's probably going to be playing much more conservative than all the guys chasing him. Yes. And C, um, HB3 is not as good as Jordan Spieth or Patrick Cantlay or Shane Lowry. (laughs) So like, there's a lot of reasons to not play him. And so 50% of people are essentially throwing away their money, in my opinion, by playing him. So I just don't play HV3. And now I already have a huge edge. Also, people love to play those guys that are all in the top 10 because they're getting those starting points. But what they're not factoring in is that those guys just go shoot an even round or something, they're going to drop and other people are going to move up and steal those placement points from them. Not to mention those people still in the placement points are making birdies and eagles and getting you all those points that are super uh, important and when you're only doing one round. So the, the ownership advantage and the game theory play in showdown is, is crazy compared to what it is in week long. And so you can take that and you can just leverage it and just go play all those guys. Like, you know, that Rory's going to come charging on Sunday at the masters and he's going to backdoor top five. That's what he always does. And no, he's going to be 5% owned. And so like you can grab a guy like that, put him in all your lineups. And then when he smashes, you have a huge, uh, a huge edge on the field. One more point. And this is going to be the most important. (laughs) This is the most important. Every week when we do week long, what are we doing? We're projecting who we think is going to do well, right? I like this guy. He fits this. With showdown, you already know who's doing well. I can go look at how they're performing on that course. I can Mm. see who's ball striking the hell out of it. Who's, whose approach is looking good and who's just screwing up with their putter. And that putter can flip. Well, if I see Denny McCarthy's losing three strokes putting, but he's actually ball striking, I'm going to be all in on him on Sunday because, like, I know he's a good putter, and that's going to average out eventually. Yeah. And so I feel like I everyone have, do, have, does that, no? I feel like doesn't well, everybody that plays showdown is just like, oh, this guy's hitting it well and not putting well. The putter's yeah, going to so turn. Th- that is the number one thing people look at, for sure. They just go look at ball striking. I would tell you uh, some good things to look at that other people aren't looking at is just go look at that specific round before, right? Because if you're doing Sunday showdown, all those that's the aggregate of the first three rounds. Just go look at round three and see who figured out their approach in round three, who really was striking it in round three. And people don't tend to do that as much. They could have been a train wreck on Thursday and Friday, but they figured out their irons on Saturday. Uh, those are guys I love to smash. I also like to look at guys who historically perform well in round four. Uh, you, know, yeah. you, can go, that, you can go search that. And that's some people on Sundays just say F it and they just shoot at every pin. And that's what you want in showdown. You want guys that are going to just go pin seeking, get you as many birdies as possible. 
Um, and there's a difference in those guys. That's also why I like to pick those guys that are starting in 20th place, not the guy starting in third place, because the guy in 20th, he, he has nothing to lose, especially if it's a guy who's rich, like, you know, Victor Hovland or something. He's just going to go firing at every stick and not care. He's not out there to shoot par. He's going to go try to shoot a 64 and make some noise. And you can get those guys at like 7% ownership and the world-class players. And uh, there's, just, there's just so much more advantage uh, in showdown, game theory advantage, than there is in week long. All right, that was a good sell. I think I, I think I might be have to be in on showdown with you. Um, what else? Anything else that we missed that that you want to talk about that you want to touch on that I, we didn't get to yet? Um, let's see. Uh, I, I guess we could. The like, is there any weeks like we're talking about the Zurich being kind of an off week? Is there? Any oh weeks yeah, that's a good one. That was like that was. Yeah that that was on my outline too. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Like the Masters, for example. Uh, do you look at a week like that and say, okay, we're going to get such an influx of casual players. This is maybe a week to increase our exposure or, or whatever. Or, or do you have specific weeks that, that you tend to consistently do better at than others? Because for me, the weeks that I've noticed that I have the most success are like the weeks coming up, like the Mexico championship, for example, because I'm actually going to do the legwork on the course. And a lot of people are just going to pick the names that they know, whereas I'm actually going to spend a lot of time modeling out this course and go hole by hole and really try and figure out, okay, who are the guys that actually are good, could play well on this course. Is it, is it the no cut? Is it a no cut in Mexico? No, it's a regular. I believe it's okay. a regular. Where okay. I, I didn't know if that. like they were doing. Yeah. I didn't know if it was like replacing the old, whatever WGC. No, Mexico. it's so it's not a WGC. One hundred thirty-two players. Uh, we have no field yet, other than uh, than John Rahm and of course Abraham Answer and Answer and yeah. Ortiz and and Rahm will will probably withdraw if he finds out there's mud on his ball or something. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's sensitive. Different podcast. Yeah. Uh. So. Um. I, I totally. Oh yeah. So on the, uh, on the weeks to take off, no cut events weeks to me are kind of, you know, it's almost, you know, I don't like them that much. They tend to just be kind of a crap shoot. Uh, you know, whenever you can't really factor in like, you know, if, if Justin Thomas is going to be really chalky at a no cut event and he goes out and he shits the bed the first two days, well, in a normal event, he would be gone and 35% yeah. of the field would be dead. But you give Justin Thomas 36 hole or another 36 holes, he can go out and roast it on Saturday and Sunday. And I just hate that. So I tend to weigh, like, scale back my exposure quite a bit at gimmick events, like no cut events. Uh, yeah. Even this week at the Zurich, I'm just not even doing it. But that's partly because I'm going to Vegas. Um, I, and, and I do. I've, year over year, U.S. Open has, has always been my best week. I just always seem to smash the U.S. Open. And I think it's just because of the time of year. There's not a lot of other sports for people to be playing. And so it gets every single novice in there. Uh, you know, even the football guys who are bored, they don't even have the draft to look forward to like they do with the Masters. And they, just, <laughs> they need something to do. And uh, it's, it's a great one to attack. Uh, uh, you know, any, any of the majors are going to be great. Uh, that are going to drive people there, especially the ones that take place in the summer. That's those I think are the the best weeks to play and to really expose yourself if you want to get in there and put some money. Yeah, it's you- it, well, it's tough for me because I tend to do better in the worst field events, right? Because I I actually know all the the bottom guys better, and I have a a long history of being really fucking good at the bottom of the board and getting the top wrong. Like it's, it's astounding to me how much I screw up the top and nail the bottom. 
So I tend to like those weeks a lot, but on the same time, you also have to factor like those are probably, I'm not alone in that, right? Those are probably the weeks that the smarter players are gearing up as well. So it's not, I'm not the only guy that views it that way. You saying that just reminds me of a great point. The swing season is the best time to play DFS Yeah. Because yeah. the sharks, the sharks make a lot of money, and they're going to go chase where the money's at, and they're going to be putting a lot more attention and effort into NFL during that time because yes. that's where all the big money is. And when those sharks aren't there, that's a lot of really sharp money that's out of the GPPs or significantly less money than they would normally play. Uh, and as you said, you get a lot more of those scrubs at those events and way fewer stars. And if you know those guys, that that's that's the advantage. So the swing season and the U.S. Open uh, are probably my two favorite times of the year to play. I think we covered everything, right? I think so. I uh, I, I I don't got anything else. What about you? No, I think that's it. What do you, when are you going to Vegas? I leave Sunday. Uh, gonna go gonna go out there and throw some dice and hit some golf balls. <laughs> if you, I don't I don't know what's Las Vegas like. Four hours from you. Um, I've never driven there. I, I, oh. I've only been to Vegas once in my entire life. Um, I, and I flew, I think it was, I think it's like a four hour drive. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say, come out there. We'll play some golf. Although I, from what, from what I understand, I don't think I'll be able to keep up with you. Nah, you'd be, you'd be surprised. Where are you playing again? Man, what was it called? Uh, uh, R- Riviere, R- something like that. Revere, Revere, something like that. And Austin park, I believe is what they hmm. were. I don't know. My friend booked them. I, 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 I you know, as, as much as I like listening to you be a golf course snob, I'm definitely <laughs> not one. Like I, I'll go play at a Muni. And if I'm hitting the ball, well, I have a blast. Even if I was playing at like, you know, uh, Shinnecock Hills or something. Well, I was going to say you live in, uh, one of my favorite golf areas in the country. Oklahoma has incredible golf. Oak tree is like one of my yeah. favorite courses I've ever played. I live three miles from Oak Tree. I go play a poker tournament over there the last Wednesday of every month. Dude, Oak Tree is the best. And it, yeah. the cool thing about Oak Tree is like Wolf is just there all the time, chilling. Yeah. And it and and Hovland is there and Gooch is there. Gooch, and yeah. yeah, and all those guys, like they they just post up there and it's such a small club. I think they've got like under 200 members that you really like. I remember we were in a group and we were playing right in front of Wolf. And so we got to see literally Wolf up close hit every shot. And he was just out there fucking around with his girlfriend. He was just like wow. in a cart with his girlfriend. It was sick. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, the, 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 there's, there's Oklahoma's got a good golf scene for like kind of a state you wouldn't particularly think about as being a great golf state. Other really than, good I mean, golf have, scene. We, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma state having so many great players out of here definitely helps. Yeah. You're going to Southern Hills too. Definitely. You're going to, you coming out? Yeah, the, I think so. Yeah, get out there. I'll get you in the DK tent. It's nice. You can go walk around and then come in and have a beer. That's where it's at. Just yeah. Get out of the I, heat for a little bit. Have you ever been to Southern Hills? It's awesome golf course. It's I awesome haven't. golf. Because I know you are, so you're Oklahoma City, so you're like an hour and a half away from Tulsa. Right. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. Me, and, me and some buddies, we're getting an Airbnb there. You don't want to be driving back to Oklahoma City every night. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, be up at, we'll be up there in Tulsa. Um, and, uh, you know. I've already made a promise to myself to do uh, to do week long kind of lighter that week and then just smash the hell out of uh, showdown. So because there's nothing worse than like you're at the live at the tournament and all your lineups are dead. So we're gonna keep a we're gonna keep a lot of money in reserves for Saturday and Sunday showdown. James Capel, everybody. James, do you have anything to plug? Like, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, no one follows you on Twitter, which makes no sense to me. So please tell everybody where they can find you. You tweet all this stuff. Like, we gotta we gotta 
get your numbies up. It's, it's yeah. insane but to I, me. I've tried to grow it organically. And when you do that, it doesn't <laughs> grow very fast. <laughs> I haven't done any plugs. I need to give away some money for people to follow me. Um, that always seems to work. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it's, I, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure it's the degenerate 75, um, on, uh, on, on Twitter. That's about all I'm really on. Um, uh, usually it's usually just me tilting about golf and talking about Luke list missing, you know, three putting from eight feet to miss the cut and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you, you'll, you, you know, it's always nice to enjoy someone else's misery. So you'll, you'll get that enjoyment if you follow me. <laughs> well, James is a pleasure. I'm sure we'll do this again. Um, I'm super down to do a part two. I could talk to you for, uh, hours and hours about this stuff, but it was good to see you, buddy. And I'll probably, I'll probably see you at the PGA. Yeah. We'll get Cody on then too. we get, really get some perspective. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, yeah, Cody's, Cody's the man. Um, all right, buddy. Good to see you. You too, brother. All right. That's it for the podcast. Special thanks to James. Special thanks to rickrungood.com. You can find me on Twitter at ADP Lack sports, and I'll be back later this week on Sunday, breaking down the Mexico championship, new golf course, uh, that we've never seen before. These are the week's Uh, that I tend to really thrive. So that's going to be a good one. Until then, best of luck with your bets this week. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs cracking